When Amanda and I were missionaries with Focus, she went on a pilgrimage on the Camino. In today's episode, we share a recording of a talk that we gave when we share the story of that Camino and the lessons we can learn about our pilgrimage home to heaven. Keep listening to this episode of The Catholic Money Show. Today's episode is a little bit different from others, but I think you are really going to enjoy it. Amanda and I gave a talk, a keynote, at the Regina Chaley fundraising dinner here in Omaha a few months ago, and we kind of mushed a few things together. Amanda's stories from walking the Camino as a missionary, uh, some some ideas from my grandfather, and of course just putting it all together to talk about our pilgrimage home to heaven. So we use real success is ending up in heaven as a jumping off point, but the things that we talk about in this recording are going to be a little bit different, of course, from the podcast episode that we did a little bit while ago on the same topic. So even if you've listened to that one, I really encourage you to listen to this because it's different stuff, all really good. So let's kick it over. I'll start the recording here. And if, hey, if you're interested in having us out, we just spoke in Texas a little while ago. We did this speaking engagement. We have a few more in the future. And so we're currently booking out our speaking calendar for the next little bit. So if you are, want to bring us to your diocese, to your event, to your parish, reach on out at walletwin.com speaking. You can get a feel for some of the things that we can talk about for you and fill out the inquiry form and get more information. That's walletwin.com slash speaking. But hey, no matter what, enjoy this recording of our talk, Real Success is Ending Up in Heaven. Thank you. God bless. My grandfather, Bill Bailey, was a saint among men. I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. I am not stretching the truth. My whole life, I knew two things about my grandfather. One, he could get into a conversation with anybody anywhere at any time no matter who they were and two that that conversation was going to involve jesus and how much god loves us when he passed in the summer of 2020 we road tripped it out back east to pennsylvania for the funeral what i discovered in that week was that the bill bailey i knew was the same bill bailey everybody knew neighbors friends from church, other members of the family, all our stories lined right up and described the exact same man. As we were going through his house, which had a lot of different uh, treasures in it, we could say, things I had been fascinated by my whole life. I was walking through the dining room and something struck my, caught my attention. On the wall, covered in family photos, was a sign. How could I not notice it? It was obnoxiously yellow with thick black letters that said, Real success is ending up in heaven. And he must have looked at this sign every day because that is how he lived his life. I mean, if he was a bishop, this would have been the motto under the coat of arms, real success is ending up in heaven. Success isn't a, a, a nice house, a new car, 
globe trotting vacations or a hot, never aging bod. <laughs> Those are fleeting, empty successes that leave us ever wanting more and never attaining those promises, false promises of security and happiness. Real success is ending up in heaven. We're on a pilgrimage to heaven. We can learn a lot about this pilgrimage to our heavenly home by looking at some of the pilgrimages that we take here on earth. St. Paul wrote to the Hebrews, we have no lasting city here, but await our home, which is to come. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims on our way to that heavenly home. Pilgrimages are meant to be a microcosm of the build pilgrimage that we are all making this side of heaven. Now, we can all go on pilgrimage, even in our own city. But there are three major Christian pilgrimages that millions of the faithful who've gone before us, and even those today, are still making. And those are Rome, the Holy Land, and the Camino de Santiago. Now, if you've never heard of the Camino, the third one there, it's a 500-mile trek across Spain. Yes, the entire country of Spain. And you end up at the tomb of St. James the Apostle. Tradition has it that when... Jesus commissioned the disciples to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, St. James took it literally. And if you looked at the map at that time, Spain was the ends of the earth. And so he literally took that message to Spain. And in that process of evangelizing, he was martyred and the faithful were able to recover his body and he was buried there. Eventually, as time went on, word got out, St. James and his body is over there, and pilgrims began to make that trek to pay homage. Now, some of those paths that began to get worn down became more popular than others, and one in particular became known as the pilgrimage path today. And tonight, we're going to share the story of when I got to walk the Camino de Santiago in the summer of 2009, and how that pilgrimage can help us on our pilgrimage home. So jump back in time with me to 2009. I was a 22-year-old, and I was preparing for the, the Camino because they told us to train. You know, you're supposed to, this, this exact backpack I have up here, I put weight in it, I, I laced up the boots, and I was supposed to go on lots of walks, but I was 22, so I walked three times for a half an hour. <laughs> so I was preparing. And on those walks, I had big, grandiose plans about what was about to go down. Essentially, in my mind, I was envisioning a saintly REI commercial, Amanda, who was going to be backpacking across Europe, wind in her hair, mountains in the background, thinking deep, deep contemplative thoughts. But is that how it turned out? Absolutely not. And praise God for it. God often does not show up in our idealized social media filtered versions of reality, does he? He likes to show up in weakness and in vulnerability. And instead of the ideal, the perfect trip that I wanted to kind of start and launch into, 
I was met with a very humbling situation right from the get-go, thanks to my sluggish colon. Now, please forgive me for even talking about this during dinner. Don't judge me. I'm already judging myself. But this is where the Lord had me, not the saintly REI commercial. But without going into a lot of detail, I've had a long history my whole life with issues like this, especially when traveling. And before heading to Spain, we had a stateside orientation for about a week. And then we flew over and had a couple more days of prep. So the day that we landed in Spain, it had been over a week without any movement. I was in tremendous pain and I was declining rapidly. I told nobody in our group that this was happening. I was trying to take care of myself by myself and I couldn't do it anymore. This was not working. I approached our team leader. He was the only one who spoke Spanish. And I asked him to get me some medication because I couldn't figure out what was what in the pharmacy when I went in there. He got me something. It didn't work. And so I just begged God for help. Now, as a true melancholic, I didn't handle this all that well. I handled it in melancholic, complete drama fashion. Our team went to bed that night. We were staying with a convent. And while everybody was asleep, I snuck out in the middle of the night running around Leon, Spain, looking for a payphone so that I could call my parents and see if our insurance would cover the imminent hospitalization or death that I was about to encounter. <laughs> By God's grace, I did not find a payphone. My parents did not get a random terrifying call in the middle of the night from me. And I slunk back into the convent and laid in my bunk, didn't sleep until the sun rose the next day. Now, the next day was the day we were supposed to leave to start the Camino. And my teammate, who was the, one, the only person who knew about this and spoke Spanish, told me, he pulled me aside, and he goes, I had a dream. And I thought, oh my gosh, where are we going with this? What's next here? He said, I had a dream and that the entire team came over you and prayed over you about this and that everything was restored to normal today. And so we're going to go ahead and do that for you. And I was completely mortified, <laughs> but I was very desperate. I did not have a choice. And so he had me come into the group. He explained what was happening. Everybody prayed specifically. I was mortified and absolutely humbled. And then we all hit the trail. Praise God. This was a prophetic dream because several hours later, normalcy was restored. And throughout the day, the whole group, they kept walking up to me on the trail being like, how's it going? Anything? <laughs> and they were all just so happy to know that the Lord answered their fervent prayers. And it was then that night as we went to mass and I was sitting in prayer that Jesus told me that the foundation of this Camino was supposed to be humility and that I was able to be that victim soul who got offered up and united the entire group, bonded everybody over this struggle, and the soil, it was now tilled. And fertilized. <laughs> and now the Lord could actually do his work. So victim soul Amanda set the tone for humility. Now, a lot of times our lives can look like Amanda's beginning on the Camino. <clears throat> we have an ideal. 
right? When I was, uh, when I had my big conversion, uh, maybe freshman year of college, I thought the rest of my life would look a little bit like this. I'd be proclaiming the name of Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with perfect charity and wisdom beyond my years, words that could only move people to genuine faith and tears. I would have daily holy hours and di- I'd go to mass every day. I'd pray my rosary every day. I'd do the divine office every day. I'd do the divine mercy chaplet every day. I'd be waking up at six so I could pray the angelus, everything. And then, and then go out in a blaze of martyrdom <laughs> or live to the ripe old age of 99 where I'm surrounded by my 20 children, my 200 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, all praying the rosary very fervently. No one's fighting. No one's whining. And then before I expire, I sit up in bed, receive the Eucharist, praise the Lord in a fashion that could only be fit for a biblical canticle, and then enter into my eternal reward. And my funeral mass would be nothing short of a canonization. It's not really how it's going so far. (laughs) So maybe it was quite an ideal that I had. But even so, what about the marriage with zero conflict? The children who only ever make us feel proud and never afraid or ashamed or disappointed or angry? What about being feeling that I want to be revered in my parish, in my community, at work? To have moved beyond sin, especially that really picky one that always seems to come up in confession. What about having faith, certainly in God, but living the life that I thought I wanted to do. Things coming along with my plan. The reality is that God desires so much more for us than our ideal. So much better than what our ideas, our dreams could ever be. And sometimes to get that better version of things, he has to take the one that we're clutching onto, pry it from our hands, crumple it up, throw it out the window. And that's been good for me, right? I'm limited. I'm sinful. I need help from other people, like Amanda's colon. (laughs) I have an ever-deepening realization of my own pride and sinfulness, right? I I clean up the room only to discover it's dirtier than I thought, right? I think I'm doing well, and then, oh, I step on a spiritual Lego. (laughs) St. Augustine said, If you ask me what the essential thing in the religion and discipline of Jesus Christ is, I'll reply, first, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. In humility, we shoulder our cross and go on that journey, accepting help when we need it, enduring our sufferings, and saying yes to the Lord. Now, speaking of sufferings, as you can imagine, the Camino was chock full of them. 
After only a couple of days, walking between 18 and 20 miles every day, things hurt. Even at age 22, so I can only imagine how I would feel now. Now, this was expected, and logically I knew that, okay, I'll probably adapt. It's only been a couple of days, but my comfort-seeking flesh, my weak will, thought, I need to lessen the pain somehow. This is just too uncomfortable. And I saw these other hikers on the trail, and they had gel inserts in their boots. And the next town that we got to that day, there were some on sale. And I thought, I'm going to get me some gel inserts, and the pain is just going to go right out the window for me. Now, what's one of the first rules that you need to adhere to if you're training for a big event or a race? They say, you're, what's that? Wear the shoes that you trained in. I wish I knew that one then. <laughs> you're not supposed to do anything on race day that you didn't do while training. So you're training for a marathon, you drank water training. Well, just steer clear of the Gatorade, ta Gatorade table while you're racing on race day. Here I was walking in the boots that I trained in, but I needed to change it up by putting these gel inserts in and taking away the suffering. My feet felt more cushioned. Some of that joint pain went away. But over the following 72 hours, I wound up getting Achilles tendonitis, blisters all over every part of my foot, knee trouble, and hip pain. On the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, I remember sitting there after morning prayer with tears going down my face because my feet, they were huge. They were tremendously swollen and they would not fit into my boots. They would barely even fit into the shower sandals that I brought on the trip. I was completely discouraged. And I heard Jesus say, throw away the gel inserts. Literally, sitting there in chapel, I, I heard that in, interior voice of his. But I knew that if I did that, I was going to be accepting that the trail was going to be hard. But he reminded me that it would be hard and it would hurt, but at least it wouldn't end me in discouragement, despair, and the possibility of not even being able to finish the race like my seeking to flee suffering had. So I got up, dried my eyes, put on the shower sandals, tossed the inserts, drank a bunch of water, took some medical-grade ibuprofen tablets, hit the trail, and within 24 hours, I was back in the boots, gel insert free, knowing that the aches and the pains would come, but at least I'd make it to the end goal. And so it was worth embracing them along the journey. Amanda knew that walking the Camino would be hard, would bring suffering. And she still signed up. We know. The Lord tells us directly, following him is going to be hard. Pick up your cross. They will revile you and speak evil against you. We must count the cost. Thought I did when I signed up for this. When the blisters came on the Camino, Amanda ran for comfort. Oh, how I, how many times have I looked for a gel insert for my soul? The suffering comes, but I don't want it. This is one of the things that is given to me that I can reflect our Lord in. My chance 
take my life and just kind of pop it up there on the cross to be a part of his suffering and death and redemption of all mankind, my chance to be a part of that? Maybe tomorrow I run away. One of the most common reasons disciples don't grow is because we don't know how to handle suffering when it comes. And why not? Well, look around. We live in a world with a steady diet of avoiding suffering, even when we're not quite aware of it, right? It's too hot? Turn on the AC. Too hard to get up and change the channel? You got a remote, and if you don't even want to pick it up, just ask Siri. We look for numbing. We wait, it was a bad day at work. I just don't even want to feel that anymore, right? Where we were. We're looking for escapism, comfort seeking. And we end up with addictions to our phone, to shows, to other screens, to pornography, to food, to rage, to just having noise going all the time. And out of that comes self-pity or feeling ashamed, which then makes us want to step back from God to not take that time in prayer. When suffering comes, we can find ourselves asking, why me? Why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? But we're at, we should ask why me, but that's the wrong why me. We should be asking, me? Me? You're trusting me with this? I've got the chance to take this suffering and to, through your grace, have good come of it somewhere for a soul. If we're not doing that, we're wasting our suffering. We're mistaken if we think that following Christ is going to make life easy and carefree. But in reality, we are entering into the eternal battle for the souls of mankind and our own. St. Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised that a trial by fire is occurring among you. As if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice exultantly. Illness, infertility, miscarriage, addiction, a falling out with a family member, being looked over at work, a kid losing their faith, sleepless nights, loneliness, depression, infidelity, suicide, financial ruin, political scandal, religious scandal, scandal amongst your very faithful Catholic friends. All of these, the enemy wants to use as a wedge, a division, a scheme to pull us apart from God. And when they come, the devil comes up and he opens up his trench coat and he says, hey, how about these gel inserts? Wouldn't these be nice? And really, only a couple of them are immoral. The rest, they're moral. They're fine. But by taking them and putting them in our boots, we're distancing ourselves from the suffering and the transformation that can come through it. Do, when, they, when the cross comes, embrace it. Ditch what numbs your soul to the divine physician's touch and allow him to make all things new. St. Mother Teresa said it, Pain and suffering have come into your life. But remember, pain, sorrow, suffering are but the kiss of Jesus, a sign that you've come so close to him that he can kiss you.
Now, you might be wondering, how does one get dropped off in the middle of Spain and wind up at the end destination without a map? You and my parents both were wondering this. Now, the Camino, it's full of shells and arrows every so often that help you to discover that you're on the right path. And they always seem to come along at just the right time. I've been spacing out. I hadn't been looking for them. I was nervous that I'd missed something and that I'd gotten lost. But then, hey, a shell popped up, an arrow came. Woo! I was on the path. As long as you could follow the shells and the arrows, you really couldn't get lost. Or so I thought. Early in our trip, we were jazzed when we stumbled across and creased from Connecticut. He wasn't with our group. He was celebrating his 10-year ordination to the priesthood, and he was doing the entire Camino, which is an over 30-day walk. We were just doing a little over half of it. We were catching him at his halfway point, and it was obvious when we ran into him that he was tired, he was exhausted, and he needed some community that appreciated his vocation to the priesthood. The other focus staff members and I, we invited him to come have dinner with us that night. And it felt like what I kind of imagined John Paul II's Schrodoviscos might have been like. There was a beautiful plaza that we were eating in. There was Spanish wine and the Spanish drinking age is 18. So it made the U.S. college students with us quite happy. And these hungry students, they were peppering him with questions about theology of the body, orthodoxy, apologetics, um, just any issue that they were curious about, they were asking him, to, asking him to teach them. And we just saw him at that dinner, just his fatherhood came to life. And it was as if all of his struggles had melted away. And so as this is going on, us staff members are kind of eyeing each other, like, we got to bag the priest. This, he needs to be our chaplain and become part of this, this group. So we invited him and we compared schedules. And unfortunately, our plans were taking us farther than him the next day. And he had a couple of reservations already set up and he'd already paid for them. And so it just didn't look like it was going to work out. We gave each other hugs. We said our goodbyes. We got a blessing from him. And it looked like that was going to be it. The next day was a 23-mile day, our longest day almost a marathon. And so we need to go hit the hay, get to bed early. We usually would wake up at 5 a.m. to get started, but that next morning we needed to get up at 3.30 and start in the pitch black of the night. So we got up, headlamps on, and it was just, it, it was completely dark. And I trusted the staff members at the, at the front to lead us in the right direction, to look for the arrows and the shells. But things started to feel weird about an hour into this day. We were hopping fences. We were on a highway. And then we ended up at a gas station. These are things that we had not been used to seeing. And it was at that moment that our group leader fessed up that we were lost. He hadn't seen any arrows or shells for miles. Three miles, in fact. We had walked three miles in the wrong direction. The almost marathon day was now a decidedly a marathon day. And Amanda was not happy. I was very mad. I was raging hornet mad. I hate inefficiency. 
I hate detours. I was seething with so much anger. We didn't have a lot of sleep the night before, but I was in such a bad mood. I was just kind of like a, a black hole for all the joy in the group. I sucked it dry. I made everybody miserable. Sometimes I have a real knack for that. Sorry, Jonathan. Can you attest to that? Yes, I mean. <laughs> I'm growing. I'm growing. The group leader talked to some locals who had a truck and asked if they would let us jump into the back of this truck to take us back to the trail. So resentfully, I hopped into this truck bed and they drove us back. And as we hop out of the truck, there was a yellow shale, shell. There was the trail. We were back. We finally made it. So that was comforting. And as our group got back onto the trail, there was a parting in the trees. And who walked through it at that exact moment? The priest. The priest from Connecticut. He stopped dumbfounded. Our jaws all dropped as well. We were supposed to be hours ahead of him at this point. And he told us that the night before in prayer, he was conflicted about not joining us. He felt the call to join us, but he just didn't know how to make it happen. He wanted to, but he thought that ship sailed. He told the Lord, though, if you make it so that I run across their path tomorrow morning, I'll become their chaplain. And so there we were, after providentially getting lost in a setback, and God had answered his prayer, and it was all for our collective good. God allowed that mistake for the benefit of all of us. And over the next couple of weeks, we got to experience daily mass in the most beautiful of places. We got to pray the liturgy of the hours facing east on a mountaintop at sunrise, have edifying spiritual conversation that went over hours long dinners. There was even a vocation to the priesthood that came about from our trip. Because we got lost. We misread the signs sometimes. We assume that feeling lost and out of control, not progressing the way we want. Well, that there's something going on, something wrong going on, instead of being exactly where Providence wants us. What if we weren't off track when that happens, but exactly on track? When we feel like a failure, when things get messy, when we feel stuck. Even though we're unaware of it over the time, these moments can be used, maybe even planned, to bring about our good and get us to the destination. St. Alphonsus Liguori says, With God, the more one seems to lose, the more one gains. The more he strikes off what is natural, the more he gives of what is supernatural. He's loved at first for his gifts, but when the, these are no longer perceptible, he's at last loved for himself. It is by the apparent withdrawal of these sensible gifts that he prepares the way for that great gift, which is the most precious and the most extensive at all, since it embraces all others. Souls, which have once for all submitted themselves to the divine action, ought to interpret Everything favorably. Everything favorably. First business we started online that made one sale that we later had to refund? 
If that would have taken off, we never would have started Walletland and helped tens of thousands of families understand their finances. If we weren't infertile, we never would have adopted our girls. We would never know them, and our lives would be that much poorer. The setback, the injustice, the sudden transition, the missed opportunity, the loss of control. Every single failure is a step forward on our pilgrimage to heaven. God can use these seasons, even ones maybe of our own making, our own stubbornness, our own hardness of heart, to bring us closer to him if we let him. But oftentimes he sends somebody along to join us on the journey at those times. The right person at just the right time, a new friend, a neighbor, a spouse, a priest from Connecticut celebrating his 10-year anniversary. And they join your pilgrimage and make it that much richer. Our lives are our lives as we know them. And we are who we are because of those crazy left turns out of nowhere that God's put us on. Why would our journey home be any different? Why wouldn't he continue this pattern as only he can? Now, the final week and a half of our pilgrimage, pilgrimage on the Camino, it was beautiful. We had our chaplain. We had lively discussions, fruitful prayer. We got to see a Eucharistic miracle that happened a long time ago not while we were actually on the Camino. Up in the mountains, we got to hike and see amazing, beautiful sights. The last three days though, it poured rain nonstop. But at this point, we had all adjusted and grown so flexible that being soaked 24 seven was a source of peace and laughter and joy. Nothing was gonna get us down at this point because we were so close to the end goal. When we woke up on that final day, it was a little bittersweet. This was the last time we were going to lace up for an hour's long hike. The last time we would pray a rosary together and then pray a walking silent holy hour side by side. This was the last time we were going to stop for breakfast, a second breakfast, and have one of those delicious cafe con leches that they serve in Spain. The end was so close, and it was only, only an eight-mile day, which seemed so easy compared to the other days, and we were just super excited. Now, as we got closer to the city, the quiet countryside and the small towns that we were used to began to fade away. This was a hustling, bustling city that we were now navigating through. And as we crossed the streets, we could see the cathedral spires poking through, and our group began to go from chit-chatty to very quiet and pensive. I think everybody was just kind of processing what had happened over the last few weeks. We had suffered together, sometimes immensely. I know I shared a couple of stories tonight, but that was just one of many. There were many, many sufferings and trials our group endured together. We'd also experienced unforgettable joys. Mentally, I began to go through that highlight reel of the ways that I'd gotten to watch the Lord work. How the Camino was not the ideal I'd fantasized and cooked up, but it was perfect and better than I could have imagined. That our suffering, it bonded us so tightly together in a way that I imagine soldiers who fight in battle might feel 
We picked another, picked each other up when we were down, bandaged each other's blisters, gave each other foot rubs, cheered on sluggish colons, embraced a weary traveler, and cried through our pain together. We were battle-tested, war-torn, and relying on grace, coasting on fumes to get to that clear end goal. We turned our final corner, and there was just one more block, all downhill. It was easy. And then we were going to enter into that cathedral plaza. Now, I don't know who, but someone in the group started to sing the Salve Regina. And one by one, without anybody saying anything, we began to grab hands. And as our feet hit the final cobblestones, our faces were all bright with smiles, singing in unison. The air felt heavy with the Holy Spirit. It was an anointed moment as we crossed the threshold into that plaza. We were crying, we were cheering, we were weary, we were elated. We'd made it. We'd finally made it. This. This is what I want for you. For us. Not now, but later on. When we cross into the other side, God willing, into heaven. The third century Bishop St. Cyprian said, What never to forget, beloved, that we've renounced the world. We're living here now as aliens and only for a time. When the day of our homecoming puts an end to our exile, frees us from the bonds of the world and restores us to a paradise and a kingdom, we should welcome it. What man stationed in a foreign land would not want to return to his own country as soon as possible? Well, we look upon paradise as our country. And a great crowd of our loved ones awaits us there. A countless throng of parents, brothers, and children longs for us to join them. Assured, though they are of their own salvation, they're still concerned about ours. What joy, both for them and us, to see one another and embrace. Oh, the delight of that heavenly kingdom where there is no fear of death. Oh, the supreme and endless bliss of everlasting life. The journey is hard. It often doesn't look the way we thought it was going to. We're humbled on the regular by our limits, our lack, and suffering comes more often than we'd like. But if we lean into it, even those sufferings and failures can be renewed and turned into triumphs. As we make our way home, divine providence brings others into our lives and ourselves into the lives of others. It is an honor to walk on this pilgrimage with you, especially those alongside whom we are raising our children. May you fight the good fight. May you finish the race. May you keep the faith. And as you labor in prayer, run to the sacraments and suffer well, keep putting one foot in front of the other until at last you hear that music of Our Lady. You feel the saints grabbing your hands, leading you home. Because real success is ending up in heaven. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. You can learn more about this show and the Wallowin program at wallowin.com. Music in this episode is from Dylan Gardner. Listen to his new album, Almost Real, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. 
See you next week. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.